Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. What is it about Christmas that is so special? Well, I think we understand that. I certainly hope we do. It's the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you realize what a gift that is. That the Lord Jesus Christ left heaven in order to come to this earth to become a man, to go to the cross to shed his blood so that we might have life, that we might be forgiven. We talk about that in in all kinds of fancy terms. One of them is incarnational, right? The incarnational moment where the Lord Jesus Christ became man. We talk about it in the sense, in a more simple way, perhaps, as missions. The greatest missional moment in history is the Lord Jesus Christ reaching out to us. I love this statement by Henry Martin. He's a missionary who served in India and Persia. Listen to this. This is absolutely the heartbeat of what we're talking about. The spirit of Christ is the spirit of missions. And the nearer we get to him, the more intensely missionary we must become. Now, is that must there because somehow we're going to be the ones that get more intensely incarnational? We're going to be more missional in our mindset? I would suggest that what the missionary is saying is the nearer we draw to Christ, if it's really true that we draw near to Christ then God is transforming us, he's changing us, and as a result, if it's really true that we are drawing nearer to Christ, then it must be necessarily true that we begin to reflect who he is. And he cares about every person. And as a result, God will change us so that we begin to care We begin to see through his eyes. We begin to be willing to be led by him. And every person that God allows in our path that we find along the way suddenly becomes essential. The missions becomes an outflow. Not a cause, but a consequence. Christ is the consequence, cause. And as a result of knowing the Lord... We get to follow him in his heartbeat for others. That's what Christmas is all about. I want you to look at Acts chapter 13, and we're going to look at interesting story here. It's really the first missionary journey recorded in the book of Acts, verses 1 and following. Fascinating story. It's a missional story. The heartbeat of the church of Antioch, and as they drew nearer to the Lord, how God began to lead them and guide them, and they began to be used by the Lord in tremendous ways throughout the entire world. Acts 13, verse 1 and following says, There was at Antioch in the church that was there prophets and teachers. You could translate this prophets who are also teachers. Barnabas and Simeon, who was also called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. We're going to have a lot said about Saul in the next few chapters. 
really the rest of the book of Acts, Saul becomes an absolute central figure. Peter has been the central figure. The church in Jerusalem has been central. Now it's shifting to Antioch. It's shifting to the uttermost. It's shifting to the Gentiles. And Saul, who is called as an apostle to the Gentiles, we know him as Paul, becomes the central figure in the midst of this. He's listed last, which is interesting. Barnabas first, probably because Barnabas was connected with the church of Jerusalem and had been sent by the apostles in order to minister to the church in Antioch. Three men that are listed in between, we don't know a whole lot about them. They are of different ethnic race. They are of different social economic standing. But they are believers, and it makes it very clear that they are prophets who are also teachers. Prophets here probably dealing with the idea of not simply telling about what's going to happen ahead of time, but rather teaching sharing forth what the Word of God has to say. They were ministering to the body of Christ at Antioch. Verse 2 says this, While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting. Now I want you to perhaps mark that in your Bible. I want you to star that. I want you to underline it. If you have an iPad, I want you to highlight it and put it in all kinds of multi-colors. Don't miss that statement. If you don't hear anything else and if you don't get anything else out of this message, grab that statement and hang on to it. Because ministry, service, is to the Lord first and for the Lord as a result. You catch it? Ministry is to the Lord first and then for the Lord as a result. I would be willing to bet if I walked around this room, and forgive me, I'm not trying to put you on the spot, and I could walk pretty far here. This is nice. I haven't done this. (laughs) If, If I went to every person, and I asked you a simple question, and I said, what does it mean? What does it look like if I ask you, what is ministry to the Lord? How would you answer that? How would you answer that? See, I think we've become so enamored with our activity. We've become so enamored with our works. We seek to be justified by what we do. What we're saying is simply, Lord, look at what we've done for you. And the more activity we have, the more we're involved, the more we work, the more effort we put into things, the more we desire and have sincerity and the right heart and all that kind of stuff, but it's seen in what we're doing, the more we're saying, in effect, it seems, Lord, look how good we are. We've got this idea that somehow God's up here and he's told us to do certain things. He's saved us, praise the Lord. Now we can move on from that. And now we are called to do work for God. Well, friend, we are called to do work for God. Make disciples is not optional. But understand that ministry, service, our activity 
first and foremost, ought to be to the Lord. And as a result of what God begins to do in our hearts, how God begins to transform us and change us, as a result of listening to what he has for us and being willing to follow him, then it becomes what we do for him. So I think one of the great traps that Satan loves to throw at us is this idea that the more active we are, the closer we must be to God. And as a result, we become a lot like the Pharisees. Look at what he says. They were ministering to the Lord and fasting. Ministering means they were serving freely. This word could be used in all kinds of different ways. In secular Greek, it had the idea of somebody who was serving in a public office and they were doing so for free, for the benefit of the people. Here within the church, it has the idea that they were serving in a public office. They were serving as teachers. They were serving as prophets. They were ministering to the body by sharing the word of God with the body. But they were doing this to the Lord. They were serving the Lord. They were ministering to him. And fasting simply means that they were choosing to set aside some things in their lives, probably food, in order that they would be listening carefully to the Lord as to what he would have them to be about. It's in the midst of this that the Holy Spirit says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Did you catch this? They were serving the Lord. Their hearts were yielded to the Lord. They wanted to know the Lord. They wanted to hear what the Lord had to say. They were listening attentively. And they had even put aside food and the things that we do on a common basis, even that which was necessary for their own bodies, in order to make sure that their listening was focused in, zeroed in, Christ. They wanted to hear from the Lord. And it's in that context that the Lord begins to tell them what to do. I think that's essential. Because I think sometimes what happens is we look around and we see all the problems and we look at all the circumstances and we immediately ask the question, what should we do? And something certainly needs to be done. But rather than going and ministering to the Lord first and listening carefully and attentively to what he wants us to do, what do we do? We begin to put all kinds of ideas and thoughts on the table. And we say, this is what we ought to do. Or we start to look elsewhere and say, what are they doing over there that looks like it's successful that we can adopt over here? And we begin to run all over the place and we get active and busy. And then we begin to put God in this wonderful little humanistic box as if somehow because of all the good things that we're doing, he's supposed to come through for us. Oh. And then we wonder why people are frustrated. We wonder why people get burned out. We wonder why people don't want to come back to church. We wonder... Where's the relationship with the Lord? And we got to be reminded of this over and over and over again, folks. All of us wrestle with this. It's profound. The role modeling that these men give to us here is essential. Because the primary issue is how are we ministering to the Lord? 
And are we listening to what he has to say? I believe they were ministering to the Lord through their preaching and the teaching of the word, which, by the way, understand this. The preaching and the teaching of the word does not take place so much at like right this moment. For instance, as I preach and teach to you, true preaching and teaching, K-group leaders, Sunday school teachers, whatever you want to call it, if it hasn't hit me first, and if it hasn't been something that God is teaching me, if it hasn't been in my relationship with the Lord and walking through what he once said, what his word actually states, rather than my opinion of it, etc., if it's not transforming me, then I would suggest to you that it's not true preaching and teaching. It's academic. Just a bunch of information. If it doesn't cause you, if it doesn't cause me to look at the Lord and to begin to recognize how desperately we are in need of him, what does it do? What does it do? I can give all kinds of Greek stuff, and I I can do that. It doesn't do much. The question is the heart first. So when we say they were ministering to the Lord, first understand as they were preaching and teaching, they were being taught. They were being transformed. They were meeting with God. And it's out of the outflow of that that they were sharing what God was teaching them with the body of Christ at Antioch. I think they were seeking the Lord's will. And how were they doing that? They were doing that through prayer. John MacArthur puts it this way. He says, serving in leadership in the church is an act of worship to God and consists of offering spiritual sacrifices to him. Those spiritual sacrifices include prayer, oversight of the flock, plus preaching and teaching the word. But understand the context of this. It's a heart issue first. It's a walk with the Lord. And as a result, there's the sharing of what the word of God has to say and who God is and who we are in Christ. True ministry is to the Lord and then for him. To him involves our worship of him. To him involves our adoration and thankfulness to what he has done. For him is a result of listening to what he wants us to be a part of. And as a result of our hearts being yielded and rightly related to him, we are clear in listening to what God wants. And then we're willing to do what it is that he calls us to. Huge. Essential. Verse 4 says, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit. Catch that, right? They were sent out by the Holy Spirit. It wasn't just something that they did. Verse 3 tells us when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. But then he immediately clarifies this. Being sent out by the Holy Spirit. All the laying of hands on these individuals was, Paul and Barnabas, is that they were agreeing with the Holy Spirit because they had heard clearly what the Holy Spirit wanted them to do. And don't miss the fact that the Holy Spirit knew them by name. Set apart for me, Paul and Barnabas. That's pretty cool. You realize God knows you by name? You realize the Lord knows exactly how he wants to use you. He knows exactly how he wants to fit you into the body of Christ, the church. And he knows exactly what he wants to do in your life as well as through your life. (laughs) The question is, are we listening? Are we attentive? Are we ministering to him first? 
Are we careful to listen so that when he tells us what to do, we're willing to say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Whatever you choose. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. They begin their journey. Paul has been called to the Gentiles. Barnabas is sent alongside of him to encourage him. It's interesting. You can see that Barnabas is always listed first. And all of a sudden, as we get towards the end of chapter 13, we begin to see Paul listed first. Because Barnabas is the leader at this point, Paul becomes the leader. So they go out, they set sail. When they reach Salamis, they begin to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they also had John as their helper. Remember, there's this little kind of story that's kind of within the story about John Mark, and we're going to see what happens later on. John Mark is with them. I think it's interesting they proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. It's plural. On this particular island, there's all kinds of different people. There's Gentiles there, but they go to the Jews first. They go to the synagogues. They begin to proclaim the word, which means they begin to share what the word of God has to say about the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 6 says, when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, now catch this, they found a magician, a Jewish false prophet whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence. And this man summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. The word find here, or found, is interesting because it's the same word that we've seen a couple times throughout earlier passages in Acts. In Acts chapter 9, 33, it says about Peter that he found a, name, a man named Aeneas who had been bedridden eight years, for he was paralyzed. Or in Acts 10, 27, about Peter as well, as he's going on to Cornelius' house. When he gets to Cornelius' house, it says, as he talked with him, he entered and found many people assembled. Here we're told that he finds a magician. Now that's an interesting moment. I would have thought that he said that he found the proconsul. Because it's the proconsul that wants to hear the word of the Lord. But it doesn't. It says that he, they found Elemas, this magician. Why is that? Every page of scripture, write the word why on it and ask yourself, why is, it, why is this said? Why is this pointed out? It's fascinating. God's orchestrating something here. These men are just hearing from the Lord. They're willing to follow God. They're willing to walk with the Lord in this missional activity. Their lives are being transformed. They're sharing the word of God. They're sharing Christ. In the midst of this, God brings them to this point where they find this magician. I would suggest to you that the Lord knew exactly what he wanted to do in the midst of this story. He knew that this proconsul, he knew that this man wanted to hear the word of God, Sergius Paulus. He knew that Elymas was a counselor to him and was giving him false information. And so the Lord, the Holy Spirit, in both Barnabas and Saul, was bringing this to a point of confrontation so that this man that wanted to hear the word of God would be shocked into understanding his need of Christ. Verse 8 says, But Elymas the magician, for so his name is translated, was opposing them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Barnabas and Saul are sharing about Christ. 
sharing what the Lord has done. And Elymas is opposing them. He doesn't want the proconsul to turn to the faith. Saul, who was also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixes his gaze on him and says, You who are full of all deceit, will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? Now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and not see the sun for a time. And immediately a mist and a darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking those who would lead him by the hand. Elymas is confronted He's a magician. He's being used of Satan in order to try to distract, to defraud, to fool this man that wants to hear the word of God. And Saul, known as Paul, turns to him and filled with the Holy Spirit, confronts him. He says several things here, and I think it's important to understand this. Satan's ways are always filled with deceit, treachery. We actually get the word bait from it. He always puts something in it that looks attractional to us. He always puts something in it that may, we may even want, but it's got a hook in it. And once we take that bait, boy, he yanks that, and we're caught. Fraud means mischievous, not taking seriously those things which ought to be considered serious. The legal definition of fraud is material misrepresentation upon which someone relied to their detriment. You catch that? Material misrepresentation, deceit, fraud, but somebody has believed it, they've relied upon it, and it has hurt them. What are we talking about in this context? We're talking about the fact that this individual was trying to keep somebody from believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And isn't that what Satan does all the time? You're good enough. Here's a bunch of rules and regulations. Just follow that and it'll be okay. (laughs) Really, that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. The gospel, Christmas, is about what Christ alone can do for us, how he alone is able to save. Paul is filled with the spirit. Elymas is filled with deceit and fraud. Elymas is called a son of the devil. Son meaning a mature son. He, he knows what he's doing in the sense. He is bought into this belief system. He's the enemy of all righteousness, meaning he's a hater of all that's good concerning the things of God, the ways of God. He's constantly trying to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord. How does he do that? By confusing, by putting into things lies. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, confronts him and tells him he won't be able to see for a time. Isn't it interesting that this man had done to him the very thing that he was trying to do to another. He was trying to lead him in a path that was dark, trying to confuse, trying to blind. And the Holy Spirit through Paul knew this and blinds this man. So now he has to have help, and he's led about by others. What's the result? Verse 12, the proconsul believed when he saw what had happened, being amazed at the teaching of the Lord. Not the teaching of of Barnabas and Saul, but the teaching of the Lord. 
The word amazed here is interesting. It means to be shocked. It's not just that he was stepping back going, whoa. It's that he literally was shocked in himself, in his own senses. He was choosing a path that was wrong, and God had to do something in order to shock him into recognizing that the path that he was on was wrong, and therefore he needed to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. He needed to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ so that he would be on the right path, the right way. Let me ask you, what has God done in your life that has shocked you? To the point where you woke up and realized that you were on the wrong path. Have you bought into the lies of Satan? Have you bought into the lies of this world that somehow you're good enough, somehow there's something you can do in order to achieve salvation, rather than recognizing that it is the message of Christmas, the message of hope, It is that the Lord Jesus Christ himself is able to save. And have we believed in him? As believers, are we ministering to the Lord first? Are we being changed and transformed? The nearer we draw to Christ, because the nearer we're willing to say yes to the Lord, as a result of that, we begin to reflect the character and the heart of God. And we become more missional. We become more concerned about those around us who don't know the Lord, who are going to hell, who don't get the picture, the true meaning of Christmas. Are we willing to be used by the Lord in that? This Christmas, are we willing to be used of the Lord in that? Say, Lord, how do you want to use me in my neighbor's lives, in my family's lives? What is it that you would have me to do? Are we ministering to him first and hearing from him So that through us, his life begins to be revealed. And the good news of Christmas, the good news of Christ, the good news of the grace of God, salvation in Christ alone, begins to be revealed through us. Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. Everyone has a story. Please tell us yours. Visit www.hoffmantown.org and click on the Tell Us Your God Story link on the homepage to share yours with us. Thanks for listening to our podcast, and we hope you will join us next week.